Now, the church must understand how the church government is meant to be understood and administered. So this is an important topic for us. Because some of you may wonder, well, there are so many topics that we can cover, so many topics that we can talk about. Like the last time we talked about being a witness, a Christian witness in this world. Maybe some of you may ask, why not some so-called devotional topic? Now, all those are important. All those are what we must have. And we do have them on our regular basis in our weekly sermons, Bible studies. But this I say, we can have a desire to live spiritually. We can have those specific messages to target those areas, our spiritual walk. But if the church is in disarray, if how relationships between church and members and members between themselves are in disarray, it will have significant impact actually on your personal walk. There are many who have left church everywhere you go in the world because even though there may be sound and good teaching in the church, they become very discouraged because how things are in disarray in the church, unclear what leadership is supposed to be, the interrelationship between the members and leadership, because of those things, people leave church. So I felt that it is very important for us to actually cover this topic specifically the Bible Presbyterian Church government. Before we go further, now I want us to read these passages about God's expectation about church. Let us read 1 Timothy 3.15, reading. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. 1 Corinthians 14.40 Let all things be done decently and in order. Let us turn to God in prayer. Eternal God, our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we bow before you, seeking thorough cleansing and washing of all our sins of the day and of the week. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your long-suffering towards us. And as we gather tonight, we ask, O Lord, that you be merciful to be in our midst, to grant to us understanding about church government. Lord, a topic that is rarely covered in churches today, but yet so crucial. Father, we pray that you not just grant to each one of us as worshippers in thy church, as a Christian in any church for that matter, an understanding of the importance of church government. And Father, we do pray, Lord, that you would establish not just the understanding, but deep convictions that would change our behavior. For Lord, the protection of thy church, the soundness of thy church and the orderliness of thy church and the joy of thy people is dependent upon how church 
is administered to a very great extent. So be in our midst to bless. We ask and we pray for all this, that thy church may be protected until our Saviour returns. For we know that Satan always seeks to destroy the local church on earth, thy witness, by destroying its government. So be in our midst, we ask, for thy name's sake, for thy kingdom's sake, as we have sung, because we love thy kingdom. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now God says in his word that the behavior, how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God is crucial. How we behave, not just our spiritual witness, our spiritual conduct, but towards one another. How we respond to each other, how we respond to leadership, how leadership responds to the congregation. Now, all these are part and parcel of living in the house of God. Let all things be done decently and in order. There can be no order in the church if there is no structure, no government. So this is crucial. So some more background. Now I'm going to take time, all right, before I jump into what the Bible Presbyterian government is, to set the foundation, the burning platform of why you must pay attention. Now, especially point number one, we are in Australia. Worshippers from diverse backgrounds, often from other countries, other churches, who have been deeply ingrained in mindsets of how they feel churches ought to be run because of the diversity of backgrounds. It makes this topic crucial. Second point. Many lessons that we have recently learned in our own church. Don't talk about other churches that have gone through many similar problems. We learn that when church government is not understood by congregation, and worst of all, not understood by church leaders. We suffer splits after splits after splits. We suffer internal strife. And very often we wonder why, why, why. We will see. It is because of the lack of understanding of this crucial topic. The third one, church witness, we studied the last time. We studied about being a witness on earth. Now imagine a church in a chaos. People come into our church looking for a church to stay in and then they say chaos, infighting, lack of clarity, leadership problems, membership problems. What kind of witness will we be? Will they want to stay? Just like you go to a country, if it is in chaos and you find that there is no order, there is no decent way of interrelating and working because there's no structure. You do not want to be part of such a country. And I mentioned the last one, the pastoral chat question at church camp. Then I began to think it is very important. While we are in peacetime, you know what is peacetime? Meaning to say we don't have strife within the church. Um, God has granted us um, peace, working with one another, within the leadership, within the congregation, one with another. It is a good time to cover these things. But we must also know, when a church has peace, that is also the time when Satan 
will be very unhappy, to stir up problems all over again. In all sorts of ways, but at least what we want to learn is about church governance, church governance. All right? There are some very young ones, like Gracia, Matthew, maybe there are slightly older ones, like Cornelius, Caleb, and then the university students among us. Now, maybe you think this topic is for the adults and for church leaders, those who are serving in church. If it were so, I would just have a workers' meeting. I will not conduct this for you as well. What will the church be in the coming future? It depends on you young ones. So you must pay attention because if you don't understand what church governance is about, you will struggle as you grow older. And if you don't understand what church governance is about, when the leadership fails and when the leaders are doing things that are wrong, you also don't know what to do. So please, young ones, preteens, teens, university students, all worshippers, you must understand. Then maybe the elderly say, I wonder why I'm here. It is very crucial for you too. Because as we grow old, we have set ways of thinking what we're used to, how church should be run. We may be stubborn. It is all the more important for you to understand from scriptures what church governance is especially the Bible Presbyterian Church. If you're a visiting worshipper and you say, well, I'm passing through on holiday or I'm just passing through the church, this is crucial for you too. Because whichever church you end up in as a Christian, if you do not have an understanding of what it means to have church government, or worse, you may think that government, that is a bad word. What will happen to you is, number one, wherever you go, you will not be happy. Because if you have your own set thinking already, you will not like things, how things are done based on their church governance. Number two, Eventually, you will find that you will go from churches to churches to churches to church and never settling in because you cannot accept church governance. That there should be such a thing as church governance. So with that as a platform, I hope that all of you will pay attention. Young ones, please pay attention. Now, I mentioned God has expectations. In scriptures, you find over and over again, God talks about order, decency, behaviors. So this will be the outline for these two parts for this week. The first part, why teach about church government? Church government, the Bible Presbyterian church government system in specific. I also talk about, well, briefly, the Baptist, um, sorry, the, the other um, denominations government, just to give you an overview. Many of you are very familiar already. 
church leadership in the Bible Presbyterian Church, what is it? Deacons, are they leaders? Elders, what are they? What about ministers? What is church leadership about? And then finally, about church elections, all right? Interrelated matter. So this, by God's grace, we, this is what we want to cover. Now, well, part two, we'll talk about church membership and their duties, not just about church. You learned about church. What is the point? Unless you understand, therefore, how to respond as members. What are your duties? And then I'll do question and answers, more from a frequently asked questions perspective. All right? Objective for this session. To equip members and worshippers with an understanding of the BP Church government within the current framework of our BP environment. All right? So based on what BP is going through now, understand the church government. Right? For what purpose? To, to achieve these objectives. Now, even if you are a worshipper that is not settled here, you still have to understand. Understand some of these things about church so that you know how to also behave in whatever church you are in. Ensure that the biblical model is maintained. Well, first and foremost, is church government, well, for example, the Presbyterian government, is it biblical? We have to understand it. Ensure that we understand it is biblical. Now, work with appointed office holders according to knowledge. Knowledge is important, but it is useless if you know what church government is, but you refuse to work within the framework with the church leaders, and the leaders refuse to work within that framework with worshippers. Resist attempts to introduce people or structures contrary to scriptures. What do I mean? Now, why must we understand this topic? Because when you understand what church government is, then you must resist introducing people who do not agree with such church government. We've gone through those phases. I've seen this in other churches. They bring people in because they understand what, church, what the church government is. They want to change it. So they bring in a big group of people to try and change it. In other words, understanding this topic is important for church protection. Know that. When you begin to see that people are beginning to rise up, try to change what the church should be, instead of leaving and go to another church where they prefer that kind of church government, they try to change this church. We have seen people go into churches to hijack it. We have seen for our church itself in our history, people come in, be very nice, win our trust, and then their main attempt is to change, even change the name of the church and take over. All right, so be aware of these things that people would do. Avoid potential problems in the church due to poor government, poor church government. Poor church government. There can be government, but because you don't understand as members, leaders don't understand, it's poorly done. Problems will arise, change our lives. Like I said, it is for leaders to respond. It is for members, worshippers to respond. And ultimately, in understanding, well, if you're called to this church, you take up church membership, then you must pray. Pray for the church. 
that God will bring and provide the right people, the right environment for the church. If you say, I, am, I want to settle here, I have settled here, means you say, I'm called to, depart, to be part of this church. Then you must protect the peace of the church. All right? Now, in understanding all this, I actually resist attempts to introduce people or structures. I want to say something else about this as well. Now, people sometimes, without understanding church government, keep questioning, why don't we just bring in these people, bring in that person from here, from there, from a different church, a different environment? Why don't we just bring them in? Because we need church leaders, right? Now, when we don't understand church government, we will not understand how to appoint leaders. And we appoint them wrongly. We'll see more of this. All right? So, my bottom line is this. People often complain about church and leave church. But few look inside and ask, I have a lot of problem with this church. Is it truly because there is a serious problem with the church or there is a serious problem with my refusal to accept that denomination's church government. What do I mean by that? Because very often we can complain. True, sometimes a church is badly governed and we see many of that and you should leave the church. It's in chaos, it's a mess, spiritual lives are spiraling downhill, fights. Now, but sometimes people live because of good church governance. What do I mean by that? Means the church is actually governing and administrating itself, its leadership, its membership, just as what its denomination is supposed to do. So there are good administration, good government, but people also leave it, not because of anything but the lack of understanding that every church, every denomination have its church government, its policies. And I must respect that. And if you see that they are actually really doing what they're supposed to do, I should be happy for them, not cause problems. But you cannot unless you understand the various church government, all right? So that's what we're going to cover. Now, next, what is church government? Now, another word that I will often use in this presentation is polity, polity, all right? It is the administration of, especially for the church, Administration of church government adopted by a church body. So it's basically church government, all right? Polity, church polity. So next time you hear church polity, don't think of church politics. That's a different thing. Church politics where people um, slander one another, step on one another, attack one another. That's church politics, all right? We are talking about polity, polity. Now let us read Romans 
13, 1 to 3, quickly reading, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror of to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now God is the one who ordains, if you look at scriptures, every power on earth. Because God says there is no power on earth except it comes from God. Even evil powers, like wicked um, Pharaoh. You think Pharaoh is the one who, who is able to become Pharaoh? Is part of God's plan. God allows it. So every power on earth ordained of God. Now, if government powers are ordained, how much more? The church government. We have already read the, the church is to be governed. We'll see more verses afterwards. So now, even when we come to Australia and want to be part of its citizenship, we respect its powers. We live within its powers and under its authority. The, the child of God must know this is the house of the living God. We cannot come into a church and act any less than we act towards the powers of the country. Of course, today, people hate authority. Now, if you're a person that still resists and struggle with authority, you say, we already don't like governments. And you want to talk about church government? This is the worst kind of possible teaching in a church. But please read scriptures carefully. Satan is one who, who loves to cause chaos who loves to cause disorder, who loves to destroy, who loves anarchy, he will create Christians, young people, that dislike powers. But God says the opposite. Do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. All right? And to church, to church leaders, God makes it very clear. For rulers are not, to, not a terror to good works. Leaders must not fail. So this is a warning to both. If you ever want to become a leader or are a leader because you want to have things your way instead of God's ordained way of church government, you are warned as well. Why is church government important? Following what God ordained. God does ordain government, number one. Does God does ordain particular structures for church government, we will see. Number two, it promotes unity in the church. Isn't it true? If there is no ruling at home, there is no unity, no peace, no joy. I mentioned in the beginning, many Christians, they long to learn more about God. They long to want to be where they can obey God, serve God joyfully. But a failure of church government, whether it's the leadership or the people, 
results in disunity and people get very discouraged. Some so discouraged that they just backslide into the world. So please understand, disruption of church government in the church is part of Satan's plan to disrupt Christians. It is very sad, like a child looking, desiring and wanting a home where there is love, where there is joy, where there is peace, where it can grow up in. Now, as long as there is no order and there's anarchy, God has clear rules also for authority in the home. It exists at every level. It will be a broken home very soon. All right? Let's read Judges 17.6. This is the best example in the Old Testament. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did what that which was right in his own eyes. We know the history. We studied the book of Judges. What is God's assessment? What is God's assessment? They rejected God's direct kingship. They rejected every or most of the judges, the rulers that God put over them. And what is God's assessment? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. No government, in other words. Every man just, I, I don't like what God decides and what structure he wants. In my own eyes, I think this is right. That was what caused Israel to constantly fail what? Fail what? I ask you. Fail in their witness. They were just concentrating on fighting for land, fighting one another, getting what they want in life, they ignore their testimony. They won't bother about their spiritual walk. Don't think that wanting to do things that is right in your own eyes, whatever you want, in other words, is good. Government is what God put in place. So I hope that you understand this is an important topic for your spiritual good. Please don't say this is not a spiritual topic. That is how many get deceived. This is a topic that is so often not covered. And as a result, so much chaos, so much hurt, so much failing of God, failing towards God. Why is church polity important? Now, I've already said some of this. Now, this is taken from opposite.org, a quotation. The most prevalent reason why, or prevalent reason why people get upset and leave congregation is not really because of doctrinal differences. Are you surprised? But it is tied in one fashion or another to the way that the congregation was governed or disciplined or not disciplined. People get fed up. Disputes are not peacefully resolved because there's no structure to do so. There's no government. There's no order. Regular oversight and counselling are not pursued. Failure. Now, please understand church government includes what specifically are the duties of leaders. So as a result, congregations argue and are divided and divide all because of the biblical blueprint for government and discipline has been ignored. That is why. Don't attend a church. Now, 
Maybe you've been a church worshiper for a long time. Do not be part of a church and think church government is not important. Don't think that church government as a worshiper is something that is unpleasant. Government is unpleasant. The opposite is true. That's a deception. That's a deception. Now, Think of the many articles you read in the newspapers where church leaders fail congregation because maybe, for example, rapes happen, molestations happen, theft, embezzlement happen. Now, because... There is a de-emphasis in churches today about church government and its structures, and there are biblical ones. Because the thought that church government is not good, many of this get swept under the carpet. And congregation do not know what to do. My child was molested. But I do not know what's the escalation path. But church doesn't have government, right? We're supposed to love one another and be kind and be nice to one another. That's all, right? What can I do? Don't know what to do. It gets dragged on for years, covered up. Can be in the congregation as well. Fights. Attacks towards one another. Again, church government has in place how to handle these things. Discipline. Because again, churches, church government is not important. Even members do not know what to do. Even leaders don't know what to do. Many blame. Many blame. Just keep blaming people. But actually, the real culprit is a lack of congregational understanding of, number one, the importance of church government. Number two, then what is church government? How does it look like? For at least we are going to cover Presbyterian for Presbyterian, how to maintain unity and peace. That is often the big culprit. All right, so I hope you understand, young ones. When you grow up in this church, you may see a very different church. If the current generation ignores church government and you don't know what it is, or this current generation does what is right, and as you grow up, maybe you become a church leader. But because you did not pay attention now, you don't know what it is, you don't really care what it is, you grow up and you do what is incorrect. All right, so young and old alike, you must pay attention if you love God's church. Next. So what is ecclesiastical polity? All right, I use some big words because you will see these kind of words. I don't want to just ignore these words. See, ecclesiastical political. I don't know what it is, you ignore it. It simply means ecclesiastical means church. Polity means governance, all right? Learn some words so that you are aware. Ecclesiastical polity is, well, from this quotation, is accurate. Operational and church, operational and governance structure. So there are structures to how to operate and how governance should be in place, all right? So, structure. Who, who likes structure? 
Parents, you know, children don't like structure. Well, some do. We don't like structure. We like freestyle. We like freedom. But it's structure. Number two, all right, it has to do with a Christian denomination. So you cannot run away from denominations. We're going to talk about that. Denominations is part of church government. You cannot delink them. Next, it also denotes the ministerial structure of a church. means pastors. What's the structure? How does he relate to church? Church relate to him. Maybe there are a few pastors. Then the ministerial structure. How are pastors appointed? How do you choose pastors? What happens when something goes wrong? All the structure of ministerial work is part of church governance. You're like, that's good. But church governance is also, it denotes authority relationships. Authority relations between churches within the church as well. Authority relationship means your relationship with authority, not just what they are subject to. Polity relates closely to ecclesiology. So now, church governance closely relates to doctrine and theology. We'll see that afterwards. You cannot separate what, how a church governs itself from its theology, its doctrines. You cannot. In fact, that is often why churches have so much fights and problems, unhappiness, confusion, because they don't understand. <clears throat> Church government and doctrines and its, and its theology cannot be separated. All right? Relating to church organization, a church is to have order. A church must be organized. So don't join a church feeling that this church is very structured and it is too organized for me. The whole idea of church government is there is clarity of structure, there is clarity and there is systematic organization. Then everybody knows what to expect. You'd like to join a company that is, there is no structure? Maybe if you're, if, unless you're the boss, right? No one can hold you to any accountability. You get frustrated, all right? So this is a good definition of church governance. Young ones, you don't like school government. You don't like country government. I hope that is not true. The child of God must understand all rule is set by God, set in, the, in place by God. You must learn being part of a structure, sub, subject to an organization is important. All right? Next. Now quickly, different differences in understanding can affect this list of things. Pay attention. If you join a church or you are part of this church and you have a different understanding about church governance compared to what it is officially supposed to be, for example, in our constitution, this is what happened. How ministers and leaders are selected and appointed. This is what will happen. You notice I haven't gone to structures yet. I'm just trying to help you understand. If you don't have 
a respect for church government, which God puts in place. Governance is put in place by God. These are the things that will happen, and we've seen them happen in our church, in many churches, not just ours. Number one, how do you appoint a pastor? There are criteria within every denomination. How do you appoint leaders? How do you select them? Where do you even begin to start? Where do you even begin to look for a pastor? Authority and approval for decisions. Why must I get approval? I'm just going to go out and spend money like that, do this, do that. Why do I need to ask for permission? You think there are no people who are like that? There are. They feel that I give offerings. Why do you need to ask? It's my money. Next, what is taught? What doctrines are taught from the pulpit? Will they even cover a topic like that? I do not want, to, want anyone to know my style of governance. I want to do whatever I want to do. Any pastor who is not willing to publicly declare what the church governance is, is a dangerous man. Means he doesn't want to have, to have structure. Depends on what benefits me, I will swing to whatever structure that is beneficial to me at that time. But who preaches? Who preaches? Who comes up to the pulpit? Should deacons come up to preach? Should lay people come up to preach? Please don't think this is not tied to church governance. It is absolutely, when I show you, absolutely tied to church governance. You see, when a church do not, it's not clear about church governance. You have all sorts of people coming up at any time to teach anything they want. You think that's going to peace, be peace? It may sound loving. Anything that is not according to God's way of doing things, no matter how loving it sounds, is just a ticking time bomb. Please understand that. Who can minister, administer baptism, who can administer Holy Communion, who is admitted to membership. Now, if there is no church governance, means there is no criteria of who is admitted to membership. It depends on which leader is in position of power at that time. Well, I like this person. He comes in. So there are no criteria at all. You say, what church has criteria about joining membership? Of course. Of course. Why? Because if there are no criteria, then a person who totally disagrees with the church can come in, become a member, vote against it, have a voice in it, and fight and raise chaos, all right? So it is not unloving. It is a loving protection. Who administers discipline, reconciliation, who handles visitations and follow-ups. You say that is important? Of course, there are roles involved. Would a church appoint someone who is carnal, worldly, doctrinally in error, appoint him as a leader, and then say, you go do visitations. Go house to house, drop all the wrong doctrines to members in small groups. This is a very often how, how factions grow. All right, next. Process for handling disputes or church and leadership problems. I mentioned this many times. 
Now, when there is no clear church governance, when a leadership commits crime, even crimes against country laws, they can get away with it and bring the name of Christianity down. I have someone writing to me recently asking about this church, that church, this problem here, that problem here, and gave me a whole long list of articles about all the things that has happened in this very well-known church. And the anger is, why are things not done? Well, that's a timely question. Because there is no church governance that is clear enough for congregation and leaders who have said, I, we've always known when this thing happened, this is what we do according to scriptures. These are the problems. All right? So wrong understanding can lead to disunity, strife, even splits. Not to mention bringing down the name of Christ. Chaos. People who are not called to preach. People who are not called to the full-time ministry are, are asked to come up, teach, preach, whatever they want and treat it like as if they are, they are meant to be up here. All right? We see more of that. Church government brings order and unity. I've said that many times and I've already mentioned this verse now. Now, this is one point that is important for you to understand. Church government, theology, and denomination are highly interrelated. Don't join a church when you have a different theology. For example, well, the Presbyterian Church is reformed, right? Reformed in theology. They say, well, I don't believe in reformed theology. And you think you can join a church and try to change it. Don't think like that. In fact, you will struggle. You'll find that as long as your theology is not consistent with the church, you will struggle with how it is governed because they are both highly related. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example later on, all right? So, maybe I'll give you an example now so that you get the, get the mindset. Now, just turn to for example, um, Titus chapter 1, please. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. All right, then we just, for example, read um, verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, and so on, and so on, and so forth. All right, for a bishop must be this. And then in verse 5, For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. So the appointment of elders and bishops, if your theology 
is not reform. You will read this very differently, understand it very differently, and then you sit in a church. To you, if you're not of the reform faith, right, if you understand what's reform and all that, please watch our videos. We've covered all this. You will see this person as someone who rules the church by himself. All right? And then you find that when you attend the church and you find that, oh, hang on, it's a group of elders that are ruling it. Or worse, you are an elder appointed in the church. You read this and then you say, well, I'm appointed as the bishop. Means I oversee everything, I control everything. Everyone listens to me only. And then you find that the other elders in the church say, no, it is not so. You will end up in fighting. Maybe I'll help you to understand this this way. Look at this diagram. All right, so very quickly, there are three main forms of church government. Majority of you, I know you understand this. There are those who may not, all right? So be, please be patient. Three government models, the Presbyterian, the Congregational, and the Episcopal government system, all right? So three major ones, all right? Now, the Presbyterian governed by presbyters, that is, ruling elders. So a group of ruling elders, look at the diagram. Three at the top, for example, don't have to be three, eh? a group of ruling elders. Now, they oversee the church, they rule the church together with the teaching elder. We'll see later what that is. So at the bottom, you have the congregation. The leadership is made of a group of elders with the, uh, the group of elders. That's the Presbyterian government system. There is no one man at the top. Congregational system. All of the members within the church fellowship are, they have equal voice in the governance. So they all, they all have equal voice. They vote. The majority wins on that decision. All right? So is in a sense, inverted trapezium. The congregation Majority wins, and then the church leaders execute that decision. Presbyterian, opposite. Okay? Now, Episcopal. Episcopal is hierarchical model. Bishop over local churches with authority derived from personal unbroken apostolic succession. That is what they believe. We have studied also, it is not true. Alright? So they say, well, the, handed down from the apostle, the Pope, for example, believe that all this is handed down to him, so he is the ultimate ruler on earth of all the churches. So it is basically one man ruling the church, and this one man can be over him, can be one man as well, and ultimately there is one right at the top, the archbishop, for example. All right? So now, so if you are from different churches, and you wonder about your church system, well, this is what it is, by and large, okay? Now, next one. Now, here is where I'm going to help you understand. Theology affects church governance. What you have been brought up in understanding of scriptures, in the way it's interpreted, will affect whether you accept or reject a form of government. I say that again. What you, how you interpret scriptures means your theology will affect whether you accept or reject 
a particular church government. Why? I give you for example. Now, Baptist, Baptist. All right. Actually, if I just look at this congregational type of churches, typically Baptist. All right. Brethren churches, charismatic churches. All right. By and large, Episcopal. You know the Roman Catholic system, the Greek Orthodox, the Anglican. All right. Presbyterian, of course, Presbyterian. Now, when it comes to congregational, the middle one, how, how is it that they come to this system? That congregation makes decision, then the, uh, the rulers go and execute it. How do they come to this system of government? How? It's because of the theology, how they interpret scriptures. Now, Baptists are not the only branch of Christians. I'm quoting Australian Baptist Ministry, all right? I went to their website, I quote them. So this is, this is understanding congregational government. This is their official understanding of why they are like that. Baptists, so they say, Baptists are not the only branch of Christian church to practice congregational government. We already said, charismatic, for example, brethren, for example. Now, but it is probably by fair to say that it is one of our major characteristics or reputation. So, they acknowledge congregational government is the Baptist way of running a church, all right? How do they come to that? Just like later we study, how do Presbyterian come to our beliefs? But now congregational first. Congregational government is based on the theological premise. See, they say, how you rule a church is based on your theological doctrinal beliefs the theological premise that every member of the church is a priest before god are we all not priests yes the bible says so not the roman catholic system where only certain ones are priests the bible says we are a holy priesthood so they say we are all priests and therefore their interpretation is therefore there's no need for an intermediary and therefore able to discern god's will his will his will and speak on his behalf well, is it God? Or basically say, His will and speak on His part. God doesn't only speak through the ordained leaders. All are free and competent to study the scriptures and interpret their application, both for ourselves and for the church. It might be said that a congregational polity is the synthesis of all other elements in Baptistic genetic code. So they say this is our genetic code. This is a very important part of our church government. What is it? Number one, we are all priests. And because we are all priests, then therefore, all of us are able to interpret scriptures. In other words, the decision of what doctrines to believe is not the prerogative of church leaders. All church members are priests and all of us understand scripture. So what we consider as true or not true or what doctrine, doctrinal uh, beliefs you want to hold is for the majority to decide because we are all priests. So doctrinal governance is by the congregation. They admit it. So we all can study, we all can interpret. Um, so governance and doctrine, governance of doctrinal and practice is by congregation. All right? So this is what it is. Now, next one. By the way, I'm explaining all this because if you do struggle with one form of government or another, you must know it is because of your theology. Either you change your theology 
means you interpret scriptures according to that denomination group, or you change church. You have to remember that. Because this exactly happens in many churches. I'm not making this up because I go through it myself. I went through it myself. Where church leaders, persuasion by persuasion is baptistic. So baptistic means everyone can interpret scriptures to the same level and we all have, because we all have the Holy Spirit and therefore you are not to think that other people should submit to you as a leader. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if a congregational member say, well, I don't believe in this particular doctrine, then as a leader, you cannot correct him. Do you understand why there will be chaos? Next. Now, Episcopal. All right, so just very quickly, just look at the second paragraph, all right? Or, or rather the first, okay. Now, when you, when you hear the Episcopal Church, when you hear about Episcopal polity, you must read it as a church overseen by bishops. What does it mean, all right? So I'm quoting from Episcopal polity um, from Anglican Compass, all right? I'm, I quote them. Now, basically, a bishop oversees a diocese, which is a region, contains several churches. He, he is over, he's responsible to give pastoral care to leaders of church, of his diocese, as well as authority to discipline, and is the guardian of orthodox theology within his diocese. So, again, so the, this is this triangle, all right? So this, this person at, on top of others, it's a one-man decision for practice and doctrine. Then on top of him, another one. Then on top of him, there's the ultimate one, all right? The archbishop in the Roman Catholic system, the Pope. Hence the Pope say when, I, when he speaks ex cathedra, means he speaks as God. No one can challenge his interpretation, all right? So this is how. Theology, because of the belief that Everyone can interpret scriptures, so congregation should describe, decide. Or the theology that God has handed this to me, and I am the top. I represent Him on earth, and therefore, when I speak, all must believe. One man decides for all. All right. So, what about the next? Now, what about the Presbyterian system? Now, here I quote from the BP form of government. Now, it says, Almighty God in His providence has permitted that different portions of His church should be governed in various ways and has blessed bodies differently governed in the, as faithful branches, rejoicing in this fact and in no wise casting reflections upon bodies governed differently. Now, he says now, government, Presbyterian. We believe that government by presbyterus means this. Government by a group of elders. Presbyter is the Greek word, if you've known that, for the word in English, elder, right? Pres presbyteros means elder, presbyteros. So it's a ruling by a group, look at the trapezium, a group of elders, plural. That is church government. Not one man, not the congregation, but Church governed by presbyterists, elders. 
It's founded upon and agreeable to the word of God and, is, uh, and practice of primitive Christians and is highly expedient. So this is the Bible Presbyterian belief. We believe that it is to be ruled by a group of elders and, be, and we believe so because it is agreeable. In other words, it's based on the word of God. And this word of God, we've seen it being practiced by the first churches, the primitive churches, right? The first churches in history. And therefore, it is highly expedient. Now, how do we think? Is it true? This is our interpretation. So your theology will affect what you accept as government. I just quote some verses, all right? Very quickly, how, how do Presbyterians come to think like that? Now, in Acts 15.2, Acts 15.4, Acts 15.6, all right? I just gather the verses. You know this story very well, all right? Now, when, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, there was a problem in Christianity, argument about doctrines and practices. What happened? They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain of them should go up to Jerusalem onto the apostle and elders about this question. Notice number one. When the Christian faced problems, they did not say as a congregation, let us decide, let us vote what is the correct. After all, we are all priests. We all have the Holy Spirit. Let us all decide by majority vote which should be correct. No, they said, ask them to go and look for the apostles and elders. No apostles and elders and the church in Jerusalem. Very specific. They understood that when there are these problems, who do we turn to for governance? Well, there are no apostles today. The 12, this apostle, the 12 apostles, they're no longer in existence. So it'll be the elders. Now next, then they went to the church. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declare all things that God had done with them. So the church received them, but the Bible is clear. They received of the church and of the apostles and the elders. You say, ah, pastor, you see, the church. The church is involved. Now, after the problem... Oh, so, when the problem needed to be resolved, look at verse 6. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider this matter. When they heard, when they were received of the church, when they came together... Who went aside to consider the doctrinal and practical matter? Who? Look at verse 6. Does the Bible say the apostles and the elders and the church came together? No. The church was present, but the coming together to decide, to govern the doctrine and the practice. The Bible is specific. Although the church is mentioned in verse 4, but when it comes to decision-making, Governance, the apostles and elders were only mentioned. They're the one that got together to consider the matter. They did not, he said, congregation, why don't we all take a vote? We are all priests after all. No, they considered among themselves. Now, verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verses 28 to 30, we know, all right? We know the problem got resolved, that the apostles and the elders came to conclusion together. You read the chapter, they went back and forth talking to each other in the presence of the church. They talked, they talked, and then they made a governing, a governing rule of doctrine and practice. Doctrines. You abstain, doctrine and practice. Now I say, you abstain from meat offered to idols, from blood, things strangled, fornication, 
keep yourself from these things. Now, when they were dismissed, when Paul and Barnabas was dismissed, they went with a group of men also to Antioch. Now, in chapter 16, notice what happened. They got the decree, so they went around to churches to tell them this is the governing decision. Let's read the last paragraph together. Let's read together. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep and were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, notice how God described what happened so that we understand how were churches governed and ruled. Number one, the decrees for to keep. What were these decrees? Who were these decrees from? Decrees that were ordained of the apostles and the elders and the church? No. There were, these decrees were ordained of the apostles and elders. That's it. No, and the church. And why do the Bible Presbyterians or the Presbyterians say this is what the primitive church practice? Because it is a scriptural thing. They don't pluck it out and say what they want to say. Look at verse 5. And so were the churches established in the faith. And so, how were the churches established in terms of governance of doctrines and practices? So, how so? This way. This way. That's why from very beginning of the New Testament church. That is how we see church polity was. But I want you to notice next, established in the faith, number one. When there is no church governance, there would not have been proper resolution of this. There would have been just fights. Everyone standing up. You read Acts 15. When the elders spoke, the congregation, they just kept quiet and they listened. They understood this is God's ordained church governance. Instead of chaos, when the churches were established like that, they went around establishing this form of governance. Notice what? They were established in the faith. means there was soundness of faith. Hence, I said, please don't say, Pastor, we want spiritual topics, we want devotional topics. How did the church almost go wrong? How did the church almost end up in chaos? And that don't talk of, there's no spirituality to talk of. There's no f- establishment of faith to be talked of. When God talks about church governance, church, God tells us the outcome when people follow God's church governance. What is the outcome? Establishment of faith. Your spiritual state is dependent on that church governance. Number two, increase in number daily. Instead of Church fights, people leave the church, churches splitting and dwindling and dying. The opposite happened when God ordained form of church governance through the elders were established. Numbers increased. Now, when you go to a church where the denomination, when the governance, when the beliefs are not clear, typically the church won't last long And typically, the church is also small. And typically, many will not take up membership. Why? Because they do not know what the church stands for, what the church believes in. They will see one time they believe in this and they practice this. Then another time is another thing. There is no peace of heart. 
in worshippers. All right? Now, so, this is what we always see in the wisdom of God for the Presbyterian system. We've seen in Acts 15. The elders, plurality. Plurality of elders seen in scriptures since the first New Testament church. The most spiritually matured, mature people oversee the church. Now, these men, they understood, please, we need to find this most mature, spiritually strong, doctrinally sound elders in Jerusalem. They understood. It is not, they understood that it's a difference. Although they are all, we are all priests, but they understood that there is a difference. Those who know the Word of God, who studied the Word of God, who are, who are trained in the Word of God, who are mature, proven in the faith, let's ask them. God's wisdom. Now in a company, let me ask you, even that is a given. Do you say that, well, you know, the, we all went to university, all right? Well, we all had, we, this group of us, we all went to university. So someone who just joined, the same, fresh graduate, inexperienced, not proven, or very bad results in school, would you say, well, let's go ask this person. You see, even in normal human wisdom, we don't do that. God, in his infinite wisdom, say, group of elders. That is why in the church, later we'll say, who you appoint as elders is crucial. Don't appoint your good friend. Don't appoint someone that, that treats you nice. You have to ask, are this, is this person spiritually mature? Knows the word of God well? What about his character? Because that, those are the people that the church will be ruled by. Next, number three. Let's check and balance and clear accountability. Look at this diagram. In the Presbyterian system, God's wisdom, Peter cannot just stand up and unilaterally say, this is it. You see, the other elders, the other apostles, they also spoke. But the congregation did not. They just listened to the most spiritually mature, knowledgeable, proven men. They just listen. There's check and balance. No man can stand up and say, this is it. Whether you believe it or not, I don't care. All right, it's my way or the highway. See God's wisdom? Check and balance. Any elder who does anything, if the other doesn't agree, there's no agreement. The decision doesn't go forward. You know that, right? In the Presbyterian system, at least in the BP system, is unanimity of agreement. There's check and balance, always. Come back to this. Congregational system. Now we see the Presbyterian system start right from scriptures, when churches were being planted in places after places. Congregational system came up in the 1500s. All right? The other thing is decisions rights resides in both mature and immature Christians in the church and even unbelievers. Because in the church, not everyone is a believer. Anyone become a member, you don't know whether they're safe, they will be also the ones. You have a whole group of young people, all right, who love the world, the carnal things of the world. If the church 
is majority made, made up of them. They will vote. They will vote to screen Superman movies in church. They will vote to have movie stars come up and speak. What can you do? It's congregational. You can't say no. So we see the wisdom of God. Episcopal came about in the second century, right? Power resides in one man. Of course, very little, if any, check and balance. So we see the, what the Presbyterians say. We believe that the government by elders is founded upon and agreeable to the word of God and the practice of primitive Christians is highly expedient. You understand why they say that? So now, you can disagree with this and say, well, I still don't agree with all this interpretation. Now, then you have to understand, I, my theology, does not agree with this church's theology or a church that you go to, that you intend to be part of. Now, that is why you will struggle with their government because how it is governed is based on interpretation of scriptures. All right? Now, then what is the Bible Presbyterian system? What is it? The Presbyterian system. All right? So now we get into that. I just summarized the first part. Huh? You must understand, if you struggle with the a church's doctrines, you will struggle with this government. You struggle with this government, you will struggle with these doctrines as well. You must acknowledge that. And don't fight it. All right? Go to a church where you agree with it, not try to change the church that you are in. You can't have the church advertise Presbyterian or Baptist or, or Anglican and you go in there and say, it's okay, you can leave Bible Presbyterian in front. But as a church leader, I want to run it like a Baptistic church in his governance. You cannot, right? You cause chaos. You cause a lot of pain in the church and splits eventually. Presbyterian. As I said, the Greek word Presbyteros means elder. That's how we get. Um, the Presbyterian system is straight from scriptures, the word. Reform. Now, please understand the difference. We are of the Reformed faith from the Reformation time, all right? Martin Luther broke away from the Roman Catholics. We are of the Reformed faith. Reform refers to our theological system. Don't mix it up. Presbyterian refers to our form of church government. Please know that. If someone asks you, what's your belief? You don't say, I'm of the Presbyterian belief. Well, unless you're talking about church governance. Say, I'm of the Reformed faith. All right? Then you say, what denomination are you from? I'm from the Presbyterian denomination. Straight away, they know that your church government is by a system of elders. All right? So, even by the term itself, tells you, that these things are interrelated, highly interrelated. This is a big book of form of government taught and practice. Now, even in the Old Testament, in Numbers, God talk, told Moses, 
bringing a, bring in a group of elders, not involve a whole group of congregation members. Numbers 11. Let's read together. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, that they may stand there with thee, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, and thou bear it not thyself alone. Right from the Old Testament, it was not an Episcopalian system. God specifically said, you are not going to stand alone. Bring me 70 men of the elders. God was very specific. It was about the elders. God did not say, that, bring, me the, bring me the congregation of Israel. They will stand with you. God did not talk about a congregational system. God spoke of an elders system. They will stand with you. They will bear the burden of the people with you. They will rule with you. You are not to rule on your own. All right? So, right from there, we see. Now, um, yes. All right, so some of the others we've read already. Now, general Presbyterian polity. All right, there are three officers. Now, I say, all right, what is Presbyterian system like? Presbyterian government. There are three officers in a Presbyterian church. Understand that. Now, many of these things that I say next week, I will do frequently asked questions based on this understanding. All right? So you have to understand it. Because I will ask you, all right, if this scenario happens, that scenario happens, whether I'm alive, just say I'm alive, this scenario happens. I did something. How do you know that is correct or not? Depends on how well you pay attention to what the system, what the structure is. So please pay attention because when things go wrong in church, you have to know how it should be handled. When things go right in church, you must not be happy, unhappy that it's handled in a certain way. All right? So understand that. So there are three officers, and don't mix them up. Ministers. Now, this would refer to ministers of the word. All right? The pastors. Ruling elders and deacons. Congregation elects the elders. All right? It's a representative system. What do I mean by that? Now, look at here. Just like... So, the elders with the minister represents the congregation. You elect men. When you elect, next year is election year. And that's why it's so important for you to understand all this this year. You, when you elect, you are saying this, I elect you to represent me, to bear my burden. So when God says, you bring this set of elders, they will bear the burden, what burden? The burden of the congregation. The congregation's burden. They will bear it with you. In other words, they are too, being spiritually the strongest, God says, you go select the best. To think and therefore to act on your behalf. For example, if the government make a ruling, when you elect an elder, you're saying, what the church will decide and how we will respond, we trust you. Because biblically, you know the word of God best. 
please don't elect people that you like but hardly study the Word of God because they're going to represent you. Because you know the Word of God best among all of us. We are not saying you're God and you're super, but among us the best. We trust you with making the decision for us based on scriptures. So it's a representative system. For example, how we spend money. We are going to do church, church extension. When you elect, you say, well, we trust that the most mature men, experienced men, spiritually strong men, know the word of God men, are the ones who assess the situation and whether we need an extension or not and spend that money there. Understand that. Representative. Representation system. So you better elect very carefully. Neither should you be unhappy if the church leadership makes decision. Because that is the system. Actually, that's an important point now for me to say. You shouldn't sit there, why does the leader make this decision on my behalf and say that we are going to support this missionary? Who gives him that right? Sometimes members get very angry and then they go around complaining to other people. What makes them give, what gives them the right to do all these things and all that? The failure to understand the system is that if you feel that that is wrong, then you join a congregational system. If you believe that that is the correct system, but you cannot be in a Presbyterian church and resist how decisions are made. You cannot live in Australia and compare it to another country and say, you know, I live in my country. This is how the government make decision. Then I come here. This is how this government make decision. The government will say the same thing to you. If you don't believe that this is the best system, you can do two things. One, go to a country that you believe fits your understanding of what should, how things should be governed. Number two, stay, but don't cause problems, right? So that is what it is. Why I'm saying all this very unpleasant thing is this. One day, Satan may stir you fan you, incite you. And when all those thoughts come up, then you have to ask yourself, what is the Presbyterian governance system? If it is being done according to the system that I believe has been interpreted as I understand from scriptures, I submit to it. Rather than go around inciting unrest. Understand why it's so important to understand this? Okay? Now, next. So it's a representative system. What is an elder? A leader with governmental oversight, like we saw in scriptures. On doctrines, on practice, the, the elders. Now, they are to represent and make decisions, so they better be very careful. Now, if you one day want to be an elder or a pastor, if God calls you, you better understand you represent the congregation who elected you. You better not fail them. If you don't want to bear that responsibility, that burden, don't be an elder for the name title sake. All right? So, Reformed tradition distinguishes between teaching and ruling elders. Now, let's read 1 Timothy 5, 17 together. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So, please remember this. In the Presbyterian system, you must accept its interpretation of this verse 
Let the elders that rule. Number one, there are ruling elders in the, in the Bible. Be counted worthy of double honor. Especially they who labor in the word. There is another group of elders who are called not the elders that rule, but elders that labor in the word. Are you paying attention, young ones? There are two kinds of elders that the Bible talk about. One is a ruling elder. The other is the elder that labor in the word, the teaching elder. So there are two that the Bible mentions. Adults, please pay attention. When an elder fights with the pastor, why must you be the only one to preach on the pulpit? You are so proud. I am an elder too. I have every right to preach on the pulpit. You stand down. We are all equals. What are you going to do as a church member? Maybe ask John. What are you going to do? In a church, big fight in the church between the elders. The pastor preaches every Sunday. And then the elder say, I want to teach, I want to come out and preach as well. It must be the teaching elder. What I'm trying to say is this. When you, in your theological um, stance, interpret scriptures as all are equal, there is no differentiation. But yet, you want to sit in a Presbyterian church, board of elders, and fight this is what happens because of your refusal to admit that my theology and the reform, or rather say the Presbyterian system conflicts and I should not, I should not fight against it. Now, I want you to, to note, this is Westminster Dictionary of Theological Term. My definition, the reform Tradition distinguishes between teaching and ruling elders is not my making, my, my invention. This is the Westminster, which is reform, Westminster Dictionary of Theological Term. They define how the reform faith interprets elders in a church based on this verse. So you cannot, if, the, if that is the theological stance of, and the, of the governmental system, you cannot, number one, be ignorant of it. If you want to be part of, a, part of a Presbyterian church, because if you're ignorant of it, you will take sides. I agree with you. The pastor is very proud. Why must he be the only teaching elder? The teaching elder in the Bible is very specific. The one who labor in the Word means the one who day and night spends his time studying the Word, teaching the Word, deep in the Word. A ruling elder is a, typically a working person. He is not one that is laboring in the Word. It's a different calling. It's a different eldership. If you don't understand that, you don't know that, you will take sides. I agree with you. Let's go and fight the pastor. Right? Understand how important it is? Now, so please remember, knowing what the elder role is. El remember, eldership is not seniority-based appointment. 
it is people who have met the criteria in First Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. All the criteria, criteria of their spiritual qualifications, their character, not seniority-based. This is not some company system outside. You've been here for a long time, right? So I guess we should make you an elder. What? The church doesn't want to make you an elder. You are here longer than the pastor. How, can they, how dare they not make you an elder? Please understand the system is not based on seniority. It's based on criteria found in the Bible. Not automatic promotion of deacons, the same. So deacons in any church should not say, well, I've been deacon for 15 years, 20 years. I think it's time. You should appoint me. Not simply based on active service. How active? Someone can be very, very active. It is again, the Presbyterian system is the criteria are in First Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. That is where we find the criteria. It is not how active you are. Do you meet every single one of those criteria? Now, why do I say this is important? Because this is a question that comes up all the time in every church so and so is so active in church why is he not a deacon why is he not an elder it's based on activity we're not saying that you're active therefore you you're disqualified of course we're not saying that but there are all the other qualifications all right so have the right thinking because if you don't understand this is how the governance system of the presbyterian system is you will go around again, even inciting. You know, I, I told pastor, you are so active. You should be a deacon. But he's not making you a deacon. You sow discord, number one. Well, the other one also, there's a teaching elder. It's different from a ruling elder. You go around. Pastor, you know, pastor was traveling. You know, pastor should have asked you, deacon so-and-so, or Worshippers so-and-so. Pastor should have asked you to go out and preach. Instead, he screened a video. Pastor is so controlling. Pastor is jealous of you. It's what you are going to plant in that person's mind. Why? Because of a lack of understanding. There is a, a teaching elder. There is a ruling elder. This is not a congregational system where everybody comes up and have a go at the pulpit but if you attend a presbyterian church and you don't understand that all right now i will take it as as you don't you did not understand you don't understand that and you go around and you say this you saw this court in the person's heart now if the person doesn't understand the presbyterian system he have just been told that yes i deserve it but i didn't get it but if Thankfully, the person understands the Presbyterian system. The person will say, this is not a congregational system. I should not go up. Do you understand why it is so important to understand this topic? And I wish the whole church was here. Half the church, a big part of the church is not here. My point is this. You attended. You understand now. When there are people who say this, the importance of this session is you understand and then you say, oh, that is a different system. That is not what we do here, all right? Because we see it in scriptures. 
All right? So there is one that labor in the word. These are not people that labor in the word. For example, so-and-so have a certificate from Far Eastern Bible College. I think if I ask you now, many of you, you'll put up your hand too. I have it too. You've been taking FEBC courses, so many credits for so long. You also have it. Why not you? Why not another person? Because you are not the teaching elder. That is why. That is the Presbyterian system. All right? Why the teaching elder? Because they labor in the Word. They are trained fully in the Word. They do not come up and teach whatever they want. They should not, at least. All right? Your safest bet is a person who is fully trained as a pilot. Not someone who roughly who play computer game as a pilot. Would you go out such a plane? Someone who reads some books about how to how to operate assist. Would you let yourself go under his blade? You want someone who labor in that subject, who's called to that, who does that as for a living, fully trained. Now, in, all right. So we've seen this. Now, to prove to you, elders are part. Elders are ordained. Alright? So please don't think, well, this, all these are made up. Anybody can be an elder. But please, look, Acts 14, 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, ordination of elders are in the Bible. Every church. Elder system. Ordained means they are tested searched out, met the criteria, then they appoint them. All right? Titus 1.5, Paul say, ordain elders in every city. Acts 20, verse 17, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. All right? Paul did not call the congregation to come and meet him. He was leaving and he had a feeling this was his last time. He said, elders, come and meet me. What did he say to them? Acts 20, 28. Now, lead, let's read together. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Scriptures explain the role of the elders. Number one, they are ordained into churches. Number two, it is not a congregational system, but it is the elders that the Holy Ghost, in other words, God, not Paul. Paul is just now making a clear statement. Appointment of elders and their roles and what their role is, is not defined by him, Paul. It's defined by the Holy Ghost, defined by God. God has appointed them overseers. The word is episkopos, overseers. That is where we get the word episcopalian. All right, episcopalian, Ep episkopos. This episkopos is overseers, but it is not singular in the church. The church of Ephesus, the elders of the church of Ephesus were made overseers, not one, epis, one, one bishop. All of them, plurality, were supposed to oversee. In other words, rule and administer 
and care for the church. Now, next. Now, next. Then in Titus 1.7, for a bishop must be, and so on, so on. So you see when, you see the word. Okay, I need you to kind of like shake yourself a bit and pay attention, all right? Now, just now I said, if your, if your theology is episcopal, means one man at the top. Bishop, if your understanding bishop means one man at the top, one man decides, one man rules. You have to now submit to scriptures that that is not what scriptures mean. Because, number one, in verse, in Acts 20, 28, the government system set up by the Holy Ghost is this. You overseers, the word is episkopos. Overseers is simply a group of, you overseers, you group of men oversee. The bishop is supposed to work with a group of men to oversee the church, not be the top man in the church. So when you read, when you understand it in this theological definition, then you will read Titus 1.7, for a bishop must be. You will not think the bishop is a top man. You would think the bishop is just like every other bishop who is an episcopus, who is an overseer, supposed to work with a group of overseers. He is not a top man. Paul is just singling out an example of one overseer. He should be this. Paul is not saying the church is run, is run by one overseer. Paul says the church is run by a group of overseers. And I'm describing one overseer. His characteristic should be this. Every overseer characteristic should be this. All right? So, you see, your theology will impact your acceptance of church government. So, when you say, I belong to a Presbyterian system, means you submit to this fact. Not congregational, not Episcopalian. All right? So, no pastor, whoever comes to this church, should ever dare to come up and say, I rule this church on my own. All the elders are supposed to are not supposed to make any decisions. They're not supposed to um, disagree with me because I, my word rules everything. My interpretation rules everything. All the others, elders, overseers, you keep quiet. No pastor should ever do that in a Presbyterian church. You should tell him, thank you very much for wanting to serve in our church. I think you need to go to an Episcopalian church. You'll be happier there and they will be happier with you there. All right? It's a different system. And we believe from scriptures that Presbyterian system is most expedient. Now, next. Plurality of elders. And when they had ordained them, elders in every church. Elders. Paul did not go around and say, ordain a bishop. Every church ordained one bishop. Rule over all. No, it's plurality. Plurality. And it's elders plural, in every singular church. Alright? So don't argue with me. It's, well, Paul is just saying many elders in many churches. No. Now, again in Philippians 1.1, say to all the saints in Christ Jesus, now, he wrote to one church, Philippi, and the bishops, means in the church there were bishops, there were many overseers which are the elders. 
and deacons. Right? So not one deacon, not one bishop. So this is a plurality system. All right? Now, Presbyterian Church is governed by pastor and ruling elders. I've said just now. Now, I take this from the Westminster Directory and the BP form of government. Why I quote them? The reason why I quote them is for you to understand. You are in a Presbyterian church. This is the Westminster definition. This is the BP form of government definition. So you cannot fight it and disagree with it. You can in the sense of, well, then I actually I don't agree with all this. I should leave. I don't want you to leave. I want you to understand. Hopefully, you can understand. Now, so number one, what do the Westminster say about this, about pastors and ruling elders? Number one, so this is a differentiation. Huh? It is likewise agreeable to and warranted by the Word of God. So the interpretation of Presbyterians is the Word of God says this, that some others beside the ministers of the Word to be church governors, to join the ministers in the government of the church, which officers reform churches commonly call elders. Explain to you. I think it's quite straightforward. No pastor can come up here and say, I don't want any elders to join me in ruling this church. I rule it on myself. I make decisions. I call the shots. No one is supposed to question me. No check and balance for me. No pastor can say that because based on 1 Timothy 5.7, the Westminster interprets it as the word of God that some others beside the ministers of the world, beside the pastor, to be church governors, to join with him. All right? So is plurality. BB form of government, government by two kinds of presbyterians. presbyters. One, ministers. Two, ruling elders. So as long as you belong to the Presbyterian system, especially the Bible Presbyterian system, you must accept this, that the interpretation of 1 five, first Timothy 5.7 is always one kind of rulers are called elders, ruling elders. The other kind is called the teaching elder, which is the one that labor in the word, in other words, the pastor. All right? So I hope this is clear. Don't fight that. You will cause a lot of problems in the church and unhappiness in yourself. An elder's calling. It is a good work. It is a calling to govern and administer, to discipline, to do visitation. Now, if you think, hmm, I think I will one day grow up to be an elder. Well, if you're called to it, these are your duties, government, administration. No elder can say, this is my government, well, I got no time, all right? I'm a very busy doctor in the world, or I'm a, I'm a very busy pilot flying around. Please don't bother me with administration of the church. I'm a very busy um, manager. I have no time to administer the church. That is your calling. This is in our constitution. So if you ever have an elder that does not administer the church, You should not elect him again because this is their overseeing duty. Paul called them apart and appointed them to oversee. All right? Not fly around as a pilot and then half the time not in church. Discipline. Are you ready to do such thing? Now, when there is no discipline, there is chaos. 
The BB system has proper discipline system. We've taught you that. Five level. All right? So it doesn't mean the moment you do something wrong, kick you out of church. There's admonition, encouragement, teaching, helping you. All right? Then you refuse to repent. You continue to be belligerent, to continue in that sin. Then it comes to rebuke, strong. All right? Warning, pleading, warning. Be very careful. Then we have to suspend you from duties if you continue to refuse to repent. Still, would not, then we have to depose you permanently from your position. Still refuse. You saw in the book of Acts, or Corinthians, sorry, Corinthians, where the person refused to repent of incest. Paul said, excommunicate him. All right? Final step. Okay, so if you, all these things must be done. So if you are in a Presbyterian system, appreciate that this is part of the government system because in the book of Corinthians, Paul, who administered the elder system, administered discipline. Now, if you haven't been to a church where the leaders or members commit terrible things, you will say discipline is bad. But when you've been to a church where you see the leaders steal money, you see the leaders do cover-up, not only steal money from the church, right? or, or they cover up things, and then they, or molest case happen, then you will say, I wish the church was governed as God would govern where there were discipline like in the Bible. Then the name of Christ will be vindicated, all right? And always discipline is to restore the person. You read in Corinthians, the person was restored. He understood, all right? It's always for spiritual good. All right, and so on and so on. Now, so... Qualifications are crucial. Please don't say this person likes to counsel people, likes to talk, likes to visit people. There are qualifications in First Timothy 3, Titus 1, all right? Now, teaching elders calling, the pastor's calling, biblical language. To me, I feel that is something very crucial because if the pastor is supposed to be the teaching elder, he's supposed to handle the Word of God, he's supposed to labor in the Word of God. If he does not know Hebrew and Greek, you're not getting the most doctrinally um, strong person to be the teaching elder that's supposed to labor in the word for you. Right? So, a point that I hope that the church takes note of one day after I die and not here. Now, maybe I want to say this. Well, anyway, Martin Luther said this if we neglect the languages, we shall eventually lose the gospel. Very true. Do you know why we have the Protestant faith? Because people, they, instead of reading the, the Latin Bible, they read the original language in Hebrew and Greek. That is why they saw that what the Roman Catholic Church was teaching was false. The only way that, the only reason why Christianity moved out of darkness was because there were men that read the original language. They understood it. 
Westminster Directory says the teaching elder shall be examining, touching his skills in original languages. Now, why do I say this? If you don't understand the Westminster, the Presbyterian faith, the Presbyterian system, puts all these things in place for the good of the church, what will happen is this. I've got to finish soon. What will happen is this. My relative wants to come to Perth. Let us make him our pastor so that he can get his visa approved. Or we don't have a pastor. You know, so and so, the person, I heard him teach the Bible. He's, he's quite good at it. Is he called? No, he's not called. Does he know the word of God as in he labor in the word, in the languages? No, he doesn't. But he's a good man. He's a nice man. Let's appoint him as the pastor. There are people who are appointed lay people, no training, but love to teach the word of God. But churches do not understand that church governance even in the appointing. I said point number one earlier on. How churches appoint leaders and ministers are very dependent on your view of church government. And the Westminster Directory specifically about church government says this. He shall be examined touching his skill in original tongues. Not for no reason. But then you stand up and you say, well, based on Westminster Directory, it is crucial. As far as we can, we should. And then someone says, you're unloving, you're unkind, you're bothersome, go away. What would you do? Yeah, I guess so. Or would you say, no, this is the Westminster church government system for the protection of the church. Many churches go downhill because of that. All right? So you do not hire, if you're hiring someone, you do not hire someone who's not trained, someone who likes, someone who likes to operate on people. So let's employ him into the clinic if you're a doctor. You don't do that. All right? Why should we do that when someone is going to handle the word of God and the souls of your children? Why do we do that? Remember, this is a government for the good of the church. Now, I think I got to stop here, all right? Before you fall asleep off the chair, there are still some things that I'll cover, but I think this is a good point to stop and continue the next time when we come back about pastor's ordination and so on and so on and um, a whole long, a whole bit, a whole length of things about the role of deacons, the role of elders, how do we go through the process. So it's church government. If pastor were to die tomorrow, how do you go about based on church government to appoint a pastor? How do you appoint deacons, elders and so on? Understand the government system is crucial, all right? It's crucial. So that when things are done wrongly, you know. When things are done rightly, you support. Then we have church peace. Let us pray.